Well, for the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been looking at a series called Knowing God. It's been the whole month of September, and we started out with some characteristics and attributes of God. We talked about prayer. Uh, We looked at the Word of God and how that speaks to us. And this week is kind of finishing up this series, and we're going to be talking a little bit about experiencing God. Uh, There's a lot that we could say about knowing God. But it's a whole other thing to experience Christ in our lives. So I'd like to dive into that a little bit today. And I'd like to ask you to imagine being asked to stand uh, before a grand gathering of the good and the wise and being asked to make a speech about goodness or beauty, the meaning of life. Uh, the point of history, the nature of Almighty God, or some such high subject. Is that me, Brian? It is. Is it too close to my mouth? Okay. Okay, I'll move it away. Is that better? We'll, all right, we'll try that. All right. So, once again, you're at a grand gathering and you're asked to talk about a very high subject, right? And you have no material at your disposal but an accounting of a humiliating, bloody execution at a garbage dump outside a rebellious city in the Middle East. And it's your task to argue that this story right here, this is the key to everything in life and to all that we know about God. Well, this was precisely the position of Paul in Corinth. He's standing before the populace of this cosmopolitan, sophisticated city of the empire. And here, Paul has to proclaim that this whipped, bloody, and scorned Jew from Nazareth was God with us. So I'd like to take a moment and have you read with me 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. And here are the words that Paul spoke to them in Corinth. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate that. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews, well, they demand signs, and Greeks, they look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God, it is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Well, as Paul says here, he's got his work cut out for him. 
Because, you see, he's preaching about the cross. And he says, the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness and stupidity. Absolutely absurd. You know, a cross is no way for a messianic reign to end. Yet, what else can this preacher say? Because whether it makes sense to us or not, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. A crucified Messiah. It's kind of an oxymoron. It's a violation of Israel's high expectations for the Messiah who would be sent to liberate them. And rather than avoid the scandal of the cross or attempt to sugarcoat its absurdity in order to make it more palatable, Paul limits his subject matter so that he knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul's manner of presentation, his delivery was weakness, fear, and trembling. It's a rather peculiar demeanor for a public speaker. Why? Well, so that nothing might move his hearers, nothing might convince them, but the power of God. For God the Father to allow God the Son to be crucified, dead, and buried is for God to be pushed out beyond the expectations of of humans or human help. The cross is the ultimate dead end of any attempt at human self-fulfillment or human betterment or human progress. Hanging from a cross in humiliation and utter defeat, there's really nothing to be done to vindicate the work of Jesus or to make the story come out right except the power of God. And Paul says that he attempted to preach the gospel to the Corinthians in just that way, rather than base his proclamation on human reason or common sense or artful arguments. Instead, Paul speaks in halting, hesitant, fear, and trembling. So if they were to hear and if they were to understand, if they were to assent and respond, it would have to be solely through the power of God. And Paul basically says to the Corinthians, the cross is Moriah, moronic foolishness. Moronic foolishness. Have you ever known someone who seems like this when they talk about the cross? I'd like to share a little story with you today about my uncle Jim. Jim married my aunt later on in life, and and he'd been known for having a long ponytail with his peppered white and gray hair. He also has a gift for telling stories. He reads books. Not all of them, just bits and pieces of them, but he seems to remember everything he reads. He never ceases to make you laugh. He's witty and funny and very likable. But I do have to tell you that every time I see him, he tells the most, uh, his most recent story of his encounters with those conservative Lutherans at his church, or how he's still trying to convince those Gideons to allow women to join them. 
And every time he talks about his love for Jesus, he gets tears in his eyes. I truly cannot think of one conversation I've had with Uncle Jim where he hasn't gotten choked up talking about Jesus. In fact, when I asked him if I could share this story with you today, his response was, only strong men cry. The weak ones can't handle the emotions. I have to be honest with you, though. It can be a bit uncomfortable to talk with this grown man who is always getting choked up about his Savior. I mean, let's be honest. Grown men aren't supposed to let tears slip out of their eyes and get choked up. It's like somebody forgot to tell Jim the rules about what it means to be a conservative Dutch white Christian man. Some might even say that Jim's just a little bit off his rocker. Truly foolish, Jim. At my ordination service uh, just over a year ago, a, a retired pastor named George Mossel spoke that day. And George and his wife Eunice were one of my scholarship donors at Calvin Seminary. And when George spoke that day at my ordination, the theme of his message was, Kathy, you're just not right. In a nutshell, his message mirrors the text of today. Following Christ to the cross, it's just utter foolishness. It doesn't make sense in this world. Only mad men and mad women surrender their lives to a cross. The word of the cross is foolishness. At least that's how it looks to the world. It's the ultimate vulnerability, the ultimate weakness. It's a surrender of all power. And it would be foolish, the world would argue, to base a faith, to base a way of living in this world on such an act, on such a surrender. Those who follow Christ, though, they see it a little differently. You know, we see it as ultimate power here. The power of sacrifice. The power of vulnerability. And here's the thing. Paul says, you know, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't trying to clean up from a plan that had gone wrong. God's intent from the very beginning was to destroy the wisdom of the wise. And to thwart the discernment of the discerning. God set out to turn the normal way of thinking on its head. And so we have foolishness. At the very core of things, we have foolishness. What else would you call it to win through surrender? To conquer enemies by loving them. To transform our world through humility. To lead by serving all. <laughs> Foolishness. And we're just the ones to do it. That's Paul's point. We are the ones chosen to live this foolish life in the world around us. We weren't chosen because of our smarts or our strengths or our status in society. You kind of can't help but take offense at that. I mean, we like to be chosen because we got something special. We like to be the center of everybody's attention. We like to be the first one chosen for the team, which I never am. We want to be the one that everybody wants to sit next to at youth group. 
And you know, you might be that. You might be the strongest one in town. You might be the one that everybody turns to for advice. You might be the one that everybody hopes their kids will grow up to be like. But none of that really matters. Not when it comes to faith. Not when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You have something more important than strength and wisdom and status. You see, you have foolishness at the core of your identity. And and even that, that's not your own foolishness. It's Christ's. Paul says, God is the source of your life in Jesus Christ. And this source reforms our understanding of what is wise and what makes for a good life. This isn't a call for us to feel less of ourselves, but but rather for any who might be feeling low or feeling despised. The good news is you are chosen. Chosen by God who is turning wisdom on its head. So I'm curious, let me ask you today, was there a defining moment in your life when you knew God was real. When you truly knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was your liberating Messiah. If so, I I would have probably assumed that scientific facts had nothing to do with that moment. Reason probably flipped right out the window. If someone heard your story, would they call it utter foolishness? I'd like to share a a story in my own life. After graduating from college, I graduated in 1998, and I started my career as a business education teacher at Northern Michigan Christian School in McBain. Well, I had thought that I could be a business teacher without having a lot of computer knowledge, but anyone who is taught at a small Christian school will tell you that you kind of need to become a a jack-of-all-trades because you're going to be teaching seven different classes, and you might be qualified for like two of them. Well, I needed to become proficient in creating a website for NMCS. So they were sending me to a class in Grand Rapids for the weekend. Well, my budget was going to be pretty tight, so I decided I'd stay with my aunt and uncle who lived in Byron Center. I received directions from them before leaving, uh, as this was long before the days of the Garmin or Google Maps. Well, somehow I missed the road to turn on in Byron Center, and I ended up in the middle of nowhere. Now, my car at the time was nicknamed uh, Betty Blue, and it was a Grand Marquis. I had purchased it from my sister-in-law's mom, Betty Malouk, for $500. And, And it more floated like a boat down the road than drove, as you can see here. So as I came to the realization that I was lost, uh, I came to a stop sign, and then I realized that my car had started to overheat because there was now steam rolling out of the hood. So I was now lost with a vehicle that was soon going to be out of commission. And I pulled into someone's driveway, and a car pulled in behind me. And a man got out of this car, and he said to me, you look like a damsel in distress. I was. Well, the man was wearing an ID badge from his work, and it said, Norm Van Polen. 
Now, my maiden name and my last name at that time was Van Polen. And this man was my dad's cousin. I was dumbfounded, but I was absolutely sure that God had sent Norm to me. It's kind of like that saying, I'm really absolutely sure of some things that I just don't quite know. There are many things in life I don't understand, but I did know who was watching over me that day. Norm took me to his home and he was able to get my car running again. I visited with him and his wife for a while, each of us talking about our faith in the Lord. And then they sent me on to my aunt and uncle's home for the night. And God gave me the gift of experiencing his providential care over my life that day. And this is one of those moments that it may seem like foolishness to the world. But over 20 years later, I still remember with absolute clarity that I knew God had my back that day. Before that day, you know, I had learned a lot about God in Sunday school and vacation Bible school and catechism and family devotions and personal devotions, Christian education classes and mission trips. The list goes on and on. We can know many things about God. But it's a completely different thing when we experience his providential care over us. And those are the defining moments that change us because they leave us utterly speechless. And many might try to convince us of things like coincidence or luck or fate. But a life centered in Christ knows that's not where our hope lies. You know, we we risk making fools of ourselves all the time. In today's culture, we can perhaps appreciate why Paul calls a manner of life that is oriented towards Christ's cross foolishness. It looks like bad business. It looks like bad politics. It looks like death. And in fact, it is. It is death to ourselves. And death to self, it doesn't sell. It doesn't win elections. It doesn't make you powerful. But it will unite us, and it will make us look like Christ. To wear our hearts on our sleeves, to not be afraid to put our feet in our mouths, to speak words with power and words as deeds, we are called to proclaim that, yes, it is true, Though it blows wisdom sky high into the hopelessness of the world, the hope of the world is born there. We are told the the lamb will lie down one day with the lion. New Jerusalem will come down out of heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. And we are told they shall not hurt or destroy anymore on my holy mountain, says the Lord. And we're called not just to proclaim these things, but would also in whatever half-baked way we can to peel back the night a little, to draw back no more than an eighth of an inch of the curtain of the dark that hides the splendor from us. So God grant us the wisdom and the courage and the madness and the holiness to be heralds of his miracle to be reckless fools for Christ. Would you please pray with me?
O Lord, for all our blessings, known and unknown, many of them remembered, many forgotten. But in all of them, we give you thanks today. We ask that you would bless us and keep us and all the ones we love and even all the ones we don't know how to love. Speak through our bumbling lips the word that became flesh and guide our reluctant feet where you would have us to go. We ask it in the name of him who comes, the Rose of Sharon and the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.